You're listening to the Tuna Town Talks Fishing Podcast with Captain Paul Miller. Hello everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm a full-time charter captain based out of Ennis, Louisiana, and over the years I've seen some of the most incredible things, and some of my friends have told me some of the most unbelievable stories, so much to where I decided I would like to start a podcast. And now a word from our title sponsor, Blue Wave Boats. Blue Wave has been the number one selling bay boat along the Gulf Coast for many years now. And with over 50 square miles of marsh located out of Venice, Louisiana, it is essential that I choose the right boat to put my clients on fish. For the last four to five years, I've been using a 24-foot bay boat powered with a single 300 Suzuki, and it's been an amazing boat. However, over the years, I've also learned that I like to target a lot of different species that are near shore, so having a bigger boat with more power could help with that, which is why I've decided to move to a 26 Pier Bay powered with twin 200 Suzukis, and this has been the perfect size boat for being able to target multiple different species, especially because the boat has over four live wells in it, which allows me to use multiple different baits to target multiple different species. With the flush mounted seating, I'm also able to maintain ample fishability, all while still providing a comfortable ride for my clients. With the step toll technology, I'm able to be more fuel efficient at higher speeds, which is also a huge advantage when making long runs through the marsh. If you would like to purchase a Blue Wave boat, head on over to bluewaveboats.com where you can find your local dealer. One of my favorite things to eat while out on the water is either beef jerky or snack sticks. And my favorite place to get this is bourgeoismeatmarket.com. That's right, guys. This is some really good stuff. They don't use any nitrates or preservatives. It comes from one of the oldest meat markets in the world with over 130 years in existence and their fourth generation taking over now. I really want to get the word out about their product and how easy it is to go on their website, order what you want, and leave it on your boat. So go to bourgeoismeatmarket.com and use code TUNATOWNTALKS in all capital letters to get 10% off your order. That's right, guys. Go to bourgeoismeatmarket.com and use code TUNATOWNTALKS in all capital letters to get 10% off your order. That's bourgeoismeatmarket.com. B-O-U-R-G-E-O-I-S meatmarket.com. Alright guys, welcome to another episode. I got really cool guests with me today, uh, Captain Lewis Thornton. He's been a, a, a good diving buddy of mine for down here for a long time, and um, we always see each other on the water, and we've had a lot of fun over the years, but I just wanted to have him on to talk about stuff, but um, I guess go ahead and say hey to everybody and how they can find you. Or Yeah, how y'all doing? My name's uh, Lewis Thornton, the third, I'm a fish, fifth generation fisherman slash commercial fisherman it's kind of been in my family for how can people like find you if they want very long time uh so my website is called fish killing charters and you can find you on like facebook or Instagram. yeah you can find me on facebook by searching lewis thornton and instagram by lewis thornton 22 okay cool so you said fourth generation and uh fifth fifth generation yeah i'm the third and my dad's dad's dad was a fisherman really it's charter fisherman slash commercial fisherman down here before venice was ever even thought of it was uh all out of 
Empire, which is kind of up towards like Delta Marina. Right. Which it was called something else back then. I don't even know. <laughs> That's crazy. And what kind of commercial fishing did they mostly do? So they mostly just, you know, back then it was whatever they caught. Um, cobia, amberjack, snappers, stuff like that. I actually uh, inherited 900 pounds of uh, snapper quota for the United States. Oh, really? From my grandfather. That's in my name. I don't catch it. I uh, we pretty much just sell it to the back to the back to you know whatever commercial dock around, and, and they, they give it to another guy, and he goes it. and catches them, and we just collect the money, kind of. Right. Which is not a whole lot, but. Right, nine hundred pounds. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. about three grand a year. You should well, go do it yourself. You'd make it a little better. <laughs> yeah, a little well, more you got to have a reef fish permit. Oh, okay. Which, so you have to have a, a permit in conjunction. Yeah, with my the grandfather quota. had let all those permits go before he passed away, and uh, but I'm in the process of getting another reef fish permit for my grandfather's boat. Oh, okay. That's so cool. that I could go and catch that quota. Cool. And, and um. You were just telling me a pretty cool story um, right before we started, but go ahead with it. Yeah, so um, my the, it was my great grandfather. His name was uh, Bull Thornton. He was originally from I think Biloxi, Mississippi area, somewhere in there, and uh, they moved down here and started fishing a long time ago, and. Way back then, uh, they got a call to take Elvis Presley out on a, a charter. And he didn't want anyone to know that he was coming into town. So they were, you know, supposed to keep it quiet. And somehow the word got out. And Do you know what they caught on the trip? Um, Probably just snapper, mangroves, yeah. cobia, amberjack, um, it was they, it was a big head boat, so they would take like sixty five people out at a time. Oh wow! And you know it was hectic, right, lines right. getting crossed. You know they'd just take you out in West Delta somewhere and drop straight down on some of those uh natural bottom spots with the rocks and all the structure. Right. But um, they also caught a lot of tuna and stuff like that. But I'm not sure exactly what they caught on that trip. Mm-hmm. But uh, I actually, I think we have a picture of it, and it would look like a few sharks and snapper and just different stuff like, stuff, yeah, yeah, just different stuff, you know? Right. But, um, yeah, so anyways, back to the story. When the boat was coming in, well, let me back up a little more. So the reason Elvis, we have a picture of him driving the boat with the uh, captain's hat because that's what he wanted. He wanted to, you know, everyone wants to get a picture driving the boat like they're the captain so <laughs> we have that photo of him with the captain's hat on acting like he's driving the boat with some lady in the background kind of just in a daze staring at him <laughs> and uh anyway so the boat's pulling into the dock and there were so many people that showed up to the pier where the boat comes in that uh Eventually, the pier collapsed and fell into the water with all the people on it. And my grandfather was just kind of laughing because he was, he was kind of like, you know, they didn't, he didn't want them to be here, so that's good for them. That's what they get, you know. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's about crazy. all I know for that story. 
That's crazy though. Taking but, taking Elvis Presley fishing. I mean, I don't know anybody else that probably has. No, yeah, <laughs> that was way before charter fishing was cool, and yeah. there well, was probably like five to ten guys that took people out down here. Right. Was, well, when did you start fishing? Like, how old were you when you started fishing? I mean, I started commercial fishing when I was six, seven years old with my dad, gillnet and speckled trout and stuff like that. Back then, it was legal. And then eventually, once I turned probably eight or nine, it was kind of outlawed to, you know, catch speckled trout in a gill net. But how uh, much would y'all catch in gill nets? Like, I mean, was it? Just oh, like I mean, thousand pounds, fifteen hundred, two thousand really? pounds. Yeah. And how do how do you gill? I've never even tried to gill net. Like, yeah, I mean, I kind of remember a little bit of it from when I was a kid. The water was like crystal clear, and it was a lot of oyster reef bottom. And my dad had like a, uh, you know, like a plate that you would work out with, the old plastic ones mm-hmm. full of cement. And we'd have that tied up to one end of the net. And we would just, once we were ready to circle the fish, we would throw that out. And he would make a big circle and circle oh, the fish. Okay. And then we'd normally trim the motor up and just spray it real hard. And rev it up. And all the fish would hit the net and get stuck oh. and they'd get gilled in it. And then you like spook them to the side. Yeah, you spook them into the net or throw some water dynamite firecrackers in there, whatever you had. And uh, then pretty much you would reel that net in with a big spool. Or Actually, that was before they even came up with those spools. We would just pull it in by hand. And then you would, as you're pulling it in, you'd pull the fish out, hmm. squeeze their butt to see if it was a white row or yellow row, male or female, male's white. Females yellow. Why would you want to know that? Because they would sell the row? Yeah, they're selling the row because the females are worth way more than the males. So the males, you know, you might have got. I thought that was with mullet, but that's with speckled trout too? Well, back then, yeah, when it was legal. That's crazy. Yeah, and then eventually that became outlawed because they were wiping them out, I'm sure. So were they mostly, were they selling the speckled trout too? Like for oh, yeah. meat, or they were just getting yeah, the row out of Oh, they trout. were getting the row out and eating the fish, I'm sure. You yeah, know? they were doing both. Yeah. But the white row's not nearly yeah, it's as not valued as, as the yellow row. Right, right. And they do the same thing with uh, mullets. mullet. Yeah. yeah, and eventually that's what commercial fishing turned into, is just with a gill net, it was mullet fishing. Yeah. And they have some gill net boats still here today that do mullets. Do yeah. pompano. Yeah. But there's only, like, one guy with that permit that actually can go out and catch pompano with a gill net still. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, one of those things where they don't make the license anymore. It's either you had it. Yeah. And grandfathered in. Or yeah. You or you can't get another one. Yeah, you can't get another one. They don't make anymore. And once those things go away, they never come back. No. That's crazy. Yeah. So you started off doing that, and then, like, I don't know, like, whenever you were, like, 15, 16. Yeah, and we used to go snapper fishing and stuff with big bandit reels with hand crank, you know, 20 hooks with a, my grandfather would make a, uh, like a, just take a regular can and fill it with lead and put a hook at the top so that you had a spot to hook your line to. And we'd have like a, you know, a Coke can full of lead mm-hmm. for the weight and then have, you know, 15, 20 hooks, circle hooks going above that with whatever you're using for bait cut right cut bait. mullet or whatever go snapper fish Pogies, yeah you hook them all up 
you know, drop straight down, let him hit on it for five, six minutes, and then just start turning the handle as hard as, hard as you can. It's got like a leaf spring with a pulley, yeah. just a roller at the end. I've so, seen them on the boats. I've never actually used one. but yeah. yeah, I still have all of my grandfathers. Really? Here, yeah. I don't really use you can do them some much. Damage with them things. Huh? Oh yeah, you can. <laughs> they caught all kind of big Warsaw and stuff like that. I got a couple pictures of some Warsaw there, like three forty-three. One that was my grandmother caught that one, and then I have a picture of my dad. He was probably four or five years old, standing next to one that was like a four sixty something. It was Damn, a giant. That's a yeah. giant. I think the biggest one me and old Boudreaux ever caught was like. 180 yeah or whatever i mean we never caught a real giant like that i know they're out there though. oh yeah they're there i mean <laughs> mm-hmm. there ain't enough people catching them to really hurt them you know <laughs> that's crazy i plan on doing that pretty soon yeah you want to go catch a big warsaw yeah i mean i just kind of go through the species yeah, once yeah. i catch one thing <laughs> real good i don't really pick on them too much i move on to the next yeah kind of keep your like yeah, yeah keep your keep your vibes rolling fill in the bucket list you know yeah yeah but um, when whenever you like, I guess like what was like you did kind of did that all through like your teenage years and stuff. Yeah, just commercial fish with my dad. We would uh go fish wild reefs out of past Christian for oysters. Really, you know, and, you did uh, oystering too. How yeah. does that work? How do you? I've never like oystered. Before. Yeah, so in past Christian on the wild reef, you can get like thirty sacks a day. I want to say, and normally it takes you you know the really good guys get them and get those 30 sacks by lunch but if you're a little slower because you know you don't do it as much then it could take you till two or three to get 30 sacks i mean it's hard work how do you do it you um so you dredge them you catch them with a dredge and then you dump them on a big aluminum table and then you got like a little hatchet in your hand and you sit there and just knock all the clutter apart and like turn so them So they're in. not clustered up. Yeah. yeah, you you get turn them into all singles and you know, you got to bust off, you know, you can't have too many spats on the oysters which are baby oysters, so you got to like clean them up and stuff like that. Hmm. Cuz that sounds like really hard work. Oh yeah, it's your hand goes numb after thirty <laughs> minutes of hammering in your hand. You know, I mean, it's pretty much like taking a hammer and sitting there beating on your hand with it for, you know, hours, five, on. six hours. It's Jesus. Yeah, it's Dang. pretty tough. I don't, I'm not crazy about oystering, but we do own a hundred and thirty-seven acres off of uh, Empire. For oystering? Yeah, for oystering, which we don't really mess with it too much. Do y'all lease it out now? or No, like that? it's just it's out just there. there. It's just there. I mean, we got a big oyster boat. We bed some rocks on it, and we took maybe like 250 sacks off of it one year and kind of just never really messed with it much after that because right. my dad's always busy from I you got to worry about people poaching that. And stuff. Oh, yeah, that, that's another problem, you know. It's like yeah. I'm never there to watch it, so there's plenty of guys that are working for other people that just go out there and they, they, they see don't, that nobody's over there. Yeah, and they, yeah. they take what they can take, you know, and roll out pretty much and – yeah. The guy that's buying them from him, he don't care where where they're getting them from. He ain't going to look into it. No, <laughs> he, they don't care. They're just like come back with them, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, I can see that. But um 
Did you ever do like you did shrimping too? Or? Oh yeah. So uh, that was all all the stories that I just were telling you about were pretty much on my dad's side of the family, and then on my mother's side of the family, my grandfather, uh, they actually lived off of Grand Pass. Those two big camps on the right. Mm-hmm. They were never there, but that was their property. You can still see my grandfather's big uh, net hanging deal that he had made where he would hang his shrimp nets up and dip them mm-hmm. in the plastic net dip, and then they would hang them up to dry. Wow. That's still there on that property. Was it The camps are still there. Right? Yeah, those camps are there, but that wasn't their camps. They had smaller little houses uh, built okay. there. I got you. The big hurricanes wiped all that away. Right, right. Someone else eventually, you know, they moved to Venice when, you know, before I was born probably and then started living on, yeah. you know, right on Venice mm-hmm. pretty much by stumps which was a big grocery store that's not there no more. It's Elsie's gas yeah, station. Okay. That was a big grocery store. Yeah. And um, I would go shrimping with my grandfather from the time I was 8 to, you know, 16 or even older than that. You know, we'd, yeah. he'd take me with him, and I would help him and my grandmother clean the shrimp, get the fish out, and, you know, all that. It was pretty cool. And how old were you when you were shrimping? Anywhere from 8 to, you know, 16. Oh, okay. Mostly when I was younger. Once I got older, over So they 16. just put you wherever they, you could fill in, huh? Yeah, wherever, <laughs> wherever, you know, you whoever could watch whatever. me at the time. I just yeah. pretty much had to go with them to work and yeah. fish and shrimp and stuff like that. Oh. And then what about, like, pokey fishing? Did you ever do any of that? Yeah, so I actually... Dude, you've done it all, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, so I I started. Po- I was the youngest person to ever start working for Omega Protein. I started really? there when I was seventeen. Really. And they still want me to go there to this day, you know, because they, my dad's usually in the top three or top five. Really. So he catches a lot of fish for that company, and uh, his boss always asks yeah. about me. He just told me literally two months ago. He's like. I don't even want to tell you this, but my boss is asking about you. He wants you to come back and <laughs> get, you know, they'll probably give me a boat within a year or two of working there, which is kind of unheard of because yeah. normally you got to work there for like well, I 10 mean, like, years. Somebody with your experience and like just having your dad there and done it at such an early age. I mean, yeah. how how many years did, how many years I, did you do uh, I pogey fished from like 17 to 21 maybe i did it really for, for three four three years, years. yeah three three years. three years and then i just i don't like relying on 16 other people to show up to work right you know those guys show up drunk or whatever and yeah the lower class fishermen on the boat yeah you know no they <laughs> probably make 30 to 40 grand a year or maybe a little better now yeah but um you know, it's just always something. That is something cool about being a charter captain. It's like you don't have you don't have anybody else. No other boss. There's no other. Yeah. It's like you and your yeah. reputation, and that's all you got. You know? Yeah. You don't have you to go worry out. about nobody else and yeah. their problems and their addictions and all that kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't control the other crew. Yeah. On the boat, pretty much, you can just try to maintain what you got. But it was a good experience, you know, going out there and. It plays a big part in 
helping me catch tuna and all kind of stuff just because I know how to find the bait real no easy. No doubt, man. I mean, all that stuff that you just talked about that you learned, I mean, I can see that helping with, like, everything from, like, trout yeah. fishing to knowing, like, just everything. Yeah, really. yeah. and mean, it gives you a good understanding because a lot of people, they look at those pogey boats like, you know, they're, they, they're killing everything and this yeah. and that, but what people don't realize is, you know, and this also, be, you know, it's the reason I know what I know about it is because I'm a free diver. I see these fish on the rigs, you know, like triple tail, cobia. They're all structure type. Of, yeah, they, they're going to be around structure. And most of the time, they're not more than 10, 15 feet away. So technically, the pogey boats can't, can't catch all those fish. Yeah, yeah, they do catch a cobia, you know. One boat there. might catch five cobias all year long. That's nothing, you know. Yeah. They got guys that go out there, which before the limit was dropped, which I'm happy about now, you yeah. know, <laughs> because they can't do that. But they would go out there with six guys and shoot 12 cobias or catch 12 cobias, and it's kind of unnecessary, I, I feel like, you know. Yeah. Picking on a fish that's really not that smart and easy to kill, in my opinion. Right. It's pretty yeah, pretty easy fish. To, yeah, someone generally curious, and if you're in the water, I mean, they they come right up to you. <laughs> yeah, someone was mentioning about how oh the pogey boats probably kill a lot of triple tail. Well, no, they don't because triple tail are hiding inside of a rig. Yeah, a pogey boat can't catch a rig. I mean, but you do see a lot of flea free swimming. Yeah, you do, and I mean, we caught maybe ten triple tail in a yeah. season, you know. But I feel like they swim faster too than. They get out of that stuff, huh? Well, no, because they probably just float on their side and they don't realize they're in it till it's too yeah. late. But still, I, I mean, mean, you were there. Like, how much bycatch did you see? Like bull reds and I just mean, like everything. Like, I mean, you, I mean, I've seen like dead bull reds in the wakes of some of these. Oh boats. yeah, I mean, yeah. People I mean, seen that. But. Some of them live. Some of them die. Most of the time, you know, there's planes that are spotting the fish, mm-hmm. and they can see if there's a lot of red surfacing in it. So they'll tell the captain, "Hey, look, you, you know, probably shouldn't shut set on this one because yeah, but it's got I mean, if the fishing's reds. tough and there's a lot of reds, I mean, they'd yeah. probably set on it anyways, right? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you do, but you know, you pump what you can and then you turn the rest loose. Or right. there's a grater on those boats, so yeah, that's what I've heard. That only the smaller to. fish fall through. So the okay. bigger fish, like the reds, they they'll go through that pump and then they get to go free down a slide on the other side and i would say you know 60 percent of those fish that get caught live yeah. and it's like every rig in venice holds bull reds so how can they catch them all if yeah. there's a 50 <laughs> of them on each rig you know they yeah. though they won't even set that net out nowhere near a rig because if they get wrapped in that now that's they just lost their whole net, yeah, and it, the net's probably worth two, three hundred grand. Yeah, and that's not necessarily where a lot of. Well, I mean, I guess there is a lot of rigs where the pogies are, but um, they're they're generally a lot closer to to the shorelines. Right, right yeah. shorelines. That's you know those pogies. They move once the sun comes up. They go from offshore and they move inshore. Yeah. And then during the middle of the day, they're way inshore to where the pogey boats can't even really catch them because they're getting away from all those Jack Carvel, Bull Reds. If they stay in that clean water, they'll get eight, you know, either way. Yeah, so they move into the dirty river water, 
you know. And that's really bays. like tide influx too. I feel like like I notice like whenever I'm rolling out, like if you got a really high tide, a lot of times the bogies are like way up in. Oh yeah. And then by the time you like low low tide, you'll see them way off, way way yeah. off the shorelines. So. Yeah. And they, you know, as the day goes on and it turns into evening, then those fish start moving back offshore because pogies eat plankton. Mm-hmm. And that's in better salinity water, not right. way inshore. They're just going in there to hide throughout the day, and then they yeah. go back out at night to in all evening to feed and stuff. How do you feel about, like, pogie fishing? Do you think it's, like, a re- rather sustainable fishery, or do you feel like it's – it's overly yeah. fished. I mean, I, those pogie boats been around before fishing was even cool, and <laughs> they don't even catch uh, 10% of the Menhaden population in, yeah. the, in the whole Gulf. So yeah, I mean, it's hard to say it's not sustainable at this point. Yeah, if if, if it wasn't, it would already, everything yeah. would be yeah. dried up, trash you know. By now, yeah. um, you know, it's like those boats, you know, they're regulated pretty heavily, so... Yeah, they, and and those companies, I mean, if they if they were gonna be fishing them out all the way, they like those yeah. people at the top are pretty smart fellows. Like, yeah, <laughs> they're actually catching more pogies now than way back then. So right. if anything, it's probably helping yeah. keep the population. I think under about control. that too. Like, if if they did stop pogie fishing. Like they just said, all right, we're not pogie fishing anymore. Like, yeah, there'd be what the s- hell would that look like? Yeah, it would be <laughs> so much bait around that fish wouldn't even have to feed. It would take a long time for the balance to to yeah. reoccur. <clears throat> yeah, I feel like if that happened, it would you know the fishing would get tougher because there's so much more bait. They don't have to yeah. bite on whatever you're fishing with. You know, it's kind of like yeah, they got all the food they want. Why? Do, yeah, something well, I do something silly else, you know yeah. yeah well when did you um when did you where i guess like you said you did that till like you were 21 like what was the next step for you like what, what did you do after the so boats? the next step i actually moved to rockport texas really to go work on oil rigs for <coughs> i think it was called golf marine in port aransas and that's when I realized that I wanted to move back home and be a fishing guy because I didn't like working in the desert and, no. you know, dealing with all of that. And I I had seen some other guys over there that were, you know, inshore fishermen and stuff like that. And I was actually what had really happened was I went to go back on the pogey boat after that job in Texas. Mm-hmm. And that's when I figured out that uh, I had a herniated disc in my lower back and my L5. Mm. So the plant didn't want to hire me back because they do a CAT scan on you. Mm. And they noticed the disc problem. So they, even though I was going to be a pilot, I was, you know. They you didn't, were a liability for that. Yeah, so they didn't want to hire me back at the time. But now that plant. How did that is, happen? How did you herniate your disc? Probably working out there on the pogey boat. I <laughs> you just started having bad Yeah, bad I mean, I, I had a couple accidents that I didn't report, you know, and just yeah. got hit in the back with a rope. Yeah. I almost got cut in half with a rope, you know, just stuff like silly that. stuff like that. Yeah, just scrambling around, and plus I was young and dumb, and, yeah. you know, we were having competitions, seeing who could lift up the big fish hose. and yeah. It weighs fifteen hundred pounds, you know. What I mean, <laughs> if you can get it an inch off the deck, you're pretty strong. <laughs> but 
no really no no telling how i've done it but i worked my way up on the pogie boat from the lowest spot to being a pilot by the time bp oil spill hit mm. because our pilot quit so then i automatically went up to his spot and i at 19 years old i was driving a 185 foot boat 35 foot wide holds over a million and a half pounds of fish oh wow that's crazy. traveling from you know um at you know moss point mississippi is where their plants based out of yeah. all the way to texas pretty much is where we were allowed to fish yeah wow that's crazy especially yeah. at that age yeah. but then no so you, you went back and they didn't want to have you back and then at that point you were like that's when i was like all right i'm gonna move back to venice and see if i can start you know get a boat and start inshore fishing and stuff like that yeah it all worked out pretty what well. year was that do you remember that was probably around, hmm, I was about 23 or 24. Okay, so like 2015? Yeah, somewhere in there, maybe 2016 or something like that. I got you. Yeah. Yeah, that was like whenever I, like, for whenever I first started deckhanding down here, I was, it was 2015. Yeah. It was probably somewhere in there. Yeah, so it might have been around 2000. Well, I would have been 24 in 2014, 2014. I believe. Yeah. yeah. So gotcha. that's that's about when yeah. when I started that. And then um, when did you start diving? Um. So I went on a – I've been diving for about seven, seven years now, probably seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, I went on a trip when I was, uh, I went on a, it was a cruise ship and I did a, uh, a scuba tank dive. I always wanted to try it, you know, I was like, oh, that'd be cool, you know, and they took, it took us down to like 65 feet. We did a little class first, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, that's when I realized I was like, you know, they say it's the best place in the world, Venice. And I was like, I'm, a you know, probably missing out on some really good diving there. So I was like, I'm going to try it out, you know. Where were you when you did your first one? Was first it? tank dive? Yeah, where was that? That at? was in Cancun. Oh, in Cancun. Yeah, and that's yeah. when I really realized, I was like, there's, you know, there was a few fish there and well, stuff. So was, many more fish in Venice. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is the best place in the world. So really, I should probably try it out there. And that's when I, you know, yeah, really got into it because it's just a lot of fun. And yeah. you can really learn a lot by you know just going down and seeing what's down there yeah it's test your bravery and yeah (laughs) get you scared and oh yeah it took me you know two weeks before i could even get past the merc layer just because once you hit the merc layer and you clear it and you get in that clean water it's just like dark green and (laughs) it's like whoa can't really see far it's like oh you know it's kind of sketchy it is super sketchy man that's crazy and um so you got like dive certified on that thing no that was just like a little did you you ever go get certified yeah Yeah. i did go get certified at uh tomentos yeah by mr steve and uh i got certified for that and then really my first three years four years of free diving i was very inexperienced doing everything wrong chasing fish yeah 
you know, not clearing my ears, going down 30, 40 feet, coming up with blood out of my nose. And Jesus. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was rough. It was a rough start, chasing fish instead of being real calm and just letting them yeah, come to you. Yeah, fish are curious, man. You got to yeah, let them come. Yeah, let them come to you. So, But now I actually have taken a level one free diving class in uh, Palm Beach. Yeah. Where my fiance is from. And then I went back and got a level two. That's cool. I've been so. wanting to do a level two for many, many years now. I, and anybody looking to get into diving or free diving, I do highly recommend taking a class. Take the classes, <laughs> yeah, because you will not teach yourself <laughs> everything. You need every, to know. I've had so many people say, "Man, like I watched this YouTube video and this." Oh, yeah. like, dude, it's yeah, it's it's like one thing to sit there and watch something, but to like have somebody explain something and then you actively do it like through experience. Yeah, is like, it's ten times yeah, harder. It's, yeah, it's, it's not different. like watching a YouTube video and fixing your car or your truck. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can get away with that, but free diving, you really need to. Yeah. Just go get the class so you don't hurt your body because then it'll keep you from actually being a good yeah. free diver in the long yeah, run. Yeah, it was. But it, the other thing I've I've actually heard is that, like, taking the class allows you to push the limits even further, which it is kind of scary in a way because, like, yeah. if you don't, if you don't, like, if you go take a class and you go down, like, say you go down 100 feet or 60 or 80 feet or whatever it is, then you feel like you can do that every time and it makes you, like – trying to like keep pushing those limits so like i don't know i've heard some divers like argue that it's like uh a little less safe but yeah I no it's, i still recommend it because it oh, builds yeah. your confidence a lot yeah you know? when you if you try to free dive without taking a class you'll be lucky to get to 30 feet yeah you take the level one class they get you to 65 feet your first attempt you know yeah, dang yeah. near you know or yeah. if not you'll get it within the next two or three tries yeah and then, you know, if you do decide to take the level two, then it's like it gets a lot better, you know, because they teach you a lot more stuff. And now How deep did you go on your – um, So on my checkout dive, I hit 95 foot. And That's awesome, dude. Yeah. You got to make it past 80 feet to, you know, actually pass the class. Right. You got to go at least past 80, and you got to hold your breath for three minutes, over three minutes. Mm-hmm face down in a swimming pool with an instructor holding his hand on your back. Which instructor did you use? I went with Florida Freedivers. They were oh, okay. really good. I recommend them, you know, for anyone out there that wants to take the class. They're, it's really cheap, you know, and it's it'll get fun. you, yeah. you know, <laughs> diving to your full potential. Yeah. Do yeah. you do you like freediving or scuba diving better? Um, I like freediving better. Just because, you know, it's all natural, you know, you kind of test your body a little more. Yeah, and, you know, you can, you know, normally you shoot more fish free diving and it's, it's, they say it's more dangerous, but in my opinion, it's not as dangerous because you're not going to push those limits, you know, you're, most people don't hold their breath until they get the hiccups, you know. Yeah. (laughs) And in a level two class to hold your breath to that three minute mark you're holding your breath way past those hiccups you're yeah, holding those, your those breath mouth contractions yeah, yeah i've had those i get those really bad actually yeah your face times. just feels like it's on fire by the time you hit that three minute mark like it's just burning up like you're literally on the mm-hmm. verge of passing out or yeah. i was anyway <laughs> but 
I mean, I can hold my breath laying down in my bed for three minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah. The most, the longest I've ever gotten to is like four minutes and 22 seconds. I don't think I could do that now. That was years ago. Maybe if I practiced a lot, maybe I could, but it's definitely, uh, it tests you. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a challenge for sure. But I hit 95 feet my first attempt and I was just like, over the top happy i was like i'm swimming back to the boat (laughs) and uh get a picture of my watch you know my dive was like a minute and 20 seconds to hit 95 feet yeah but you um i remember this and i I, uh, we can edit this out if you don't want to talk about it but you you actually got bent one time oh yeah scuba diving right would you talk about that oh yeah no i don't mind i mean i was uh young and dumb and (laughs) thought I couldn't get bent because I would go to 180 by myself and never had any trouble yeah you know and I would shoot a couple fish each dive and then finally I went out there one day and I was shooting fish you know two or three who were you with oh it was me and Blake and and his mom and I think his sister so Mm -hmm. they were tank diving together but I was kind of like doing my own thing because they kind of just stay around a hundred. Yeah, they don't go. Deep yeah, they don't deep. go past one twenty. And I was like, I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking for the big stuff. I'm trying to go deep. down. Yeah. And I shot, you know, I probably shot my limit a grouper and the first dive, mm-hmm. which was uh like two yellow mouth grouper, one speckled hine or something that was like literally three pounds or something yeah it was it might have not even been a speckled hine but it had red spots on it and it was a smaller fish but you could tell it was a big one for Mm -hmm. its class and um i was really wanting to try to get a scam so the next dive i went back and i promised everyone on the boat i wouldn't go to go past 160 and we were at uh lena which they taken it down mm-hmm. but this thing was huge it was in 1200 foot of water and they had holding tanks that you could put a 2000 square foot house inside of under the surface you know and i swam around at 160 for a while and i uh kind of you know didn't see any fish because i had already shot at them a bunch at 190 so obviously they went a little deeper than that probably to get away from me and I remember seeing those big tanks and they were kind of stacked up and I could see a little bit of light coming from the other side and that's where I had shot all the fish to dive before. So at 160, I was like, all right, I'm going through this. I'm going to cut right through the rig because it would have took me too long to go around because it was so big. And I was like, I'm going to take this little shortcut. I was like, I hope nothing swallows me whole because it's (laughs) pitch black dark inside of, yeah. you know the gaps between those tanks and i uh cut through there and didn't have any trouble and got right back to where i was at and i hit about 190 and i kind of looked around and then all of a sudden i seen that big scamp that i was looking for you know probably in the 20 pound range or bigger i got some pictures of them and uh i literally followed that fish from 190 because when he seen me he He started swimming down and i just didn't even know what was going on at that point i was just like you were narked i'm sure yeah Yeah. and i was (laughs) like oh that's him and i just followed him and shot him as he was swimming away from me 
and then he shot down another like 40 feet and got wrapped up at 243. And I knew I had wasted a bunch of air swimming around. And this was your second dive of the day. Yeah, and I was already swimming around for like 10 minutes at 160. Yeah. So when I seen the fish tangle up, I was like, oh, crap, I need to just cut my stuff and go back. And then I was like, no, I just need to untangle it real fast. And I swam down there real fast. And, like, it's crazy because when you're in that moment and you're going down, it's like everything just stops. And it's like you can you can hear it in your breaths that you're going deeper and deeper. You yeah. Know? And I wasn't even looking. You can almost see your gauge move that deep. I mean, I've, yeah. been, like, I've been about that deep before. And it's, yeah, it's a yeah. different type of blue down there, too. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I got to untangle this fast. I literally just hurry up unwrapped it as fast as i could i think i even may have cut the line and just grabbed the fish in my shaft and i was like all right i gotta get going back up i know i'm probably getting low on air at this point and i remember i got to about 200 feet and i was like all right i'm not passing my bubbles up i'm doing everything right i need to check my air gauge and i hadn't checked it the whole dive So this was my first time checking it after all of that. And I knew I was down there for way too long. My total dive, I was wearing a free dive watch, a F10, which I still have. Dude, I get scared thinking about this. It's crazy. Yeah. And (laughs) so I'm like, I need to check it. So I I pull up the gauge and I take a look at it. And it was at like 300 pounds. Oh, my gosh. At 200 feet. Yeah, at 200 feet. So, guys, just one second for people listening. Because I know there's a lot of people that don't dive. Whenever you start your dive, you have about 3,000 PSI. 32, yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, You had about 32 on that dive. You had about 3,200 PSI. And so – you really want to start start heading up with like fifteen to a thousand pounds somewhere right. in there. That way you can do your safety stops and, and all, all that, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So and keep going. Literally, when I seen that three hundred, I was like, "Holy crap, I'm gonna die!" <laughs> I was like, "All right, I gotta start conserving air," you know. And I was, I just kind of came up with my own strategy that they don't even teach in a class, but <laughs> the rules are: don't pass your bubbles. And don't hold your breath. Yeah. So from free diving and practicing the, um, you know, there's like these apps that you can train your lungs for free diving. Right, right. And a lot of it is, uh, you know, how long can you blow out right, so you're as just- you increase your level on the app. It teaches you how to hold your breath a little bit longer. Right. Breathe in a little bit longer and then breathe out a little bit longer. It kind of just keeps going up on the seconds on all of those things. And I literally looked at that gauge and it was at 300. And when I took the next sip of air, it bounced to like 250, you know, and I was like, whoa, you know, yeah, like, that was deep. a lot. Yeah, because yeah, you were deep. That yeah. air at so that, compressed. At that depth, you can literally watch your gauge move yeah. with and every breath. So I was like, oh, crap, I got to, you know, figure something out. So what I'd done was I would take a sip of air and just go and suck in. And then I would just blow out real slow as long as I could for like 30 seconds at a time each time, you know, just. Yeah. And I was steadily swimming up, steadily swimming up. And I'd take another sip of air and then 30 seconds out again, just letting it out. And by the time. I never took any safety stops. I came straight up from 243 
And by the time I hit about 30 foot, I was like, all right, I'm going to sit right here for just a, as long as I possibly can because my tank's literally on zero now. Mm-hmm. And I, I tried to sit there for about 30 seconds to a minute, and then the tank went <laughs> And that was it. It was no more air in it. So I just started blowing out as much as I could all the way to the surface. And then as soon as I broke the surface, I just took it, took in a good breath. And I was just like, whoa, Uh, all my, you know, I had this big scamp and his, his, uh, guts were blown out of his mouth because obviously he was bent Mm -hmm. from coming up that (laughs) fast. And, um, which I never passed my bubbles. Right. And I was, I felt perfectly fine. I was like, oh, look, I had a GoPro video of it. And I was like, oh, look at all these fish. They're bent, you know. But guess who's not? Me. <laughs> and I put the, you know, the GoPro on me. And I was like, I'm I'm good. And this and that. And I got in the boat. And I was kind of, you know, I was fine. And then all of a sudden I was like, all right, I'm getting out of this wetsuit, you know, that's we're yeah, gonna it's go usually s- when you exert yourself a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We were like, all right, we're going to go sword fishing now. And we packed up all the dive gear. I took my wetsuit off. And when I went to take my wetsuit off, I kind of pulled it with my arms crossed, grabbing each on opposite side. And I pulled it off, and I heard something crack in my right shoulder. And it was like, <coughs> I was like, oh, crap. You know, it kind of hurt a little bit. And I was like, well, I think I just wanted to believe that I pulled something. When deep down inside, I was like, I know something's not right with what I just did because yeah. it's against all the rules. And we ended up going sword fishing. We dropped, caught like a 120 or a 140, the first drop immediately. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. everyone on the boat was kind of looking at me like, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And they're like, no. Blake's mom was kind of looking at me and she's like, something's wrong with you. And I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine. I was like, let's drop for another one, you know? And I think we dropped for another sword and might have got hit and messed the bait up. And then after that, they were they didn't feel comfortable being out there with me anymore. Why? What, what, were you hurting? Was your arm hurting? My stomach was like turning red and stuff, kind of, or something. I don't know. It was just weird. I kept like holding my shoulder because of that noise I heard. It was kind of, you was know. Was that irritating you? Yeah. yeah, it was like probably a little air bubble mm-hmm. hitting inside of my shoulder there. And So, guys, for like, I guess for the listeners, whenever you get bent, like you're, whenever you go that deep, your your bloodstream fills up with nitrogen, and then nitrogen bubbles are in your in your bloodstream. So whenever you come up, they tell you to make a safety stop to where – those bubbles will decompress right. and then get out and of here. And so what happens is whenever you get bent, a lot of times the uh, the bubbles will like hang up on like jointed areas, and you're like a lot of times it's in your elbows or your your knees or, or your shoulder. Yeah, a lot of times most, it's in your shoulder. Common most common, spot. yeah, is in your shoulder. But yeah, yeah, so from then you guys ran in. Yeah, we ran in, and I seen a couple of my buddies on the dock that tank dive and stuff. It was uh, Brett Ryan. Mm-hmm. And he was like, dude, you're bent. You need to go to the hospital. <laughs> and I was like, I don't really want to go. But I guess since everyone's like kind of telling me I have to, I was like, I guess I'm going to go. Right. And I went to the hospital. My total dive time for that whole dive was 23 minutes and some change. Really? And Terribly the, long. <laughs> yeah. The doctors, like, based on what I told them, step by step everything that i'd done 
they were just like, you're lucky to even be alive at this point. They were like, we get guys all the time that go to 130 and turn into a vegetable for the rest of their lives, you know. Because they were holding their breath on the way up, panicking, and, you know, might have popped a lung or whatever, you know. I kind of followed the rules just in my own technique that I kind of made up right there on the spot, luckily. (laughs) So probably saved your life yeah it saved my life definitely i'm fully recovered and you know how bad did the pain hurt though uh by the time i got to the hospital it was it was pretty bad you know really i got i got to the hospital around 9 nine thirty or 10 and they kind of just hooked me up to an iv on a regular bed and was just like talking to me and they're like uh how bad does it hurt scale of one to ten and i'm like well, you know, I was like, I don't really complain about pain and stuff. I'm not a complainer. I can take a lot of pain. and But I was like, honestly, it's a 10. I feel like I'm fixing to die any minute right now. You know, like if y'all are going to do something, y'all need to get going with it and start doing it, you know. And then that's when they like put it in high gear and they were like, all right, get them in the chamber, you know. Yeah. And uh, how long do you have to sleep in the chamber? I stayed in the – they pr- finally got me in there probably around 11.30 to 12-ish, and they kept me in there from 12 midnight till 7 in the morning. Holy shit. Yeah, it was not a fun ride. You know, they put a bubble boy hood on you that pumps pure oxygen to your to head. Your yeah, so you can breathe in pure oxygen. They bring you back under that pressure. Which, back to like 60 feet or something? No, well, their machine can – you know kind of get equal to about 180 foot in depth Mm -hmm. that's the kind of pressure they can put on your body and that's all their machine can that's the deepest their machine can mimic go you know so and uh they just started you know relieving that pressure a little slowly bringing me back up and they had a nurse in there with me the whole time and you know it was like one minute i was throwing up taking the hood off throwing up and then i'm like oh my god i gotta go to the bathroom i gotta you know yeah holy shit yeah and i'm like i can't use the restroom with this nurse in here like i was like can you go like can you get out and she's like no you gotta you're gonna go in that little back compartment and they're gonna pressurize it and you can go in there and i was like and there's no door that would have closed from yeah where i was at to her and I went in there and I ended up not even being able to use the bathroom. It just felt like it I had to go. Felt like you had to. Yeah. yeah, and then I would go back and just throwing up and Jeez. you know, like you know, you're like, oh, dude, you were really and, fucking bent, dude. Yeah, I was probably about as bad as you can get bent you without know? dying. Without dying, yeah. So, Jesus. I got really lucky to come up with that idea of. Have you been diving a lot since? Yeah, I went back to, like, 140 in St. Croix catching lobsters or something. And it's different over there. You don't really have to, you know, sit at 60 foot because the way the shelf is shaped, you kind of go down to 120 or 140. And then by the time you just swim back up the shelf, you're actually letting that, you know. Get I mean, you can do the system. rigs the same way. That's how my dad always taught me to dive. And I think that's why a lot of rig divers actually dive really deep. 
It's like if I go down, like I've just pretty recently, I was, you know, I, my dad was big, and I, I think he's kind of abandoned this rule, but he always said, you know, you don't you don't need to shoot more than one fish on a dive. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the rule. I just, yeah, I, I mean, never I know dove. a lot of divers don't stick to that, but I, I, I like that. I don't, I don't really like trying to like reload and untangle fish and do yeah. all that. Like, go look for your one fish and go, but like, I'll go to, like, recently go to like 200. You go to like 200, I shot a fish, and then, you know, I'll come up to like 100 foot and then spend a couple minutes, come up to 60, and that's probably where you'd spend the majority of the dive and then right. come back up again. Yeah, you know? that's your best bet. And that the biggest thing I think if you're – and I don't recommend – I'd, I'd never recommend deep diving to anybody. I mean, if, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it on your own, but like – try to leave your ego out of it as much as you possibly can yeah. like just enjoy the whole thing don't yeah. don't like, worry about shooting don't try don't fish. try to like because yeah. like i know in that dive you probably had it in your mind like i'm going to get the big one now yeah oh yeah yeah i was like <laughs> I want and to i've get been the there i've done that same bunch. thing dude and it's like you want to get the big one and it's like and that, and that's why I don't ever want to get into like the tournament diving. Like these guys, they do all the tournament diving yeah. and shit like that. And like, I know that's how a lot of the hell divers have have came and gone. You know. Oh yeah. Rest in peace. Shoot a big hundred pound AJ and see you later. <laughs> yeah, and, they, and it's it's all for like yeah, you're trying to get the biggest one, and I don't I don't know I don't think it's it's not safe. <laughs> no. You know. I mean, I still try to get the biggest fish. Every time I don't pull the trigger on the first fish I yeah, see, yeah. I'm being very selective. Yeah, and I say all that, but like at the same time, you're doing. You the same still thing. have that in the back of your head, like you want this big scamp or this, yeah, you know, this the biggest. You know, you you have that in you, but yeah. it's I don't know. You just gotta have it in your mind too that it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely around. I mean, there's a fine line there between what's worth it and what's not. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not definitely no fish is worth your life. So no, you got to just enjoy the ride and take it easy, you know. No, no doubt. Play by the rules. But dude, whenever you started um charter fishing, like what was that like, man? Like whenever you started charter fishing, like what did you So when I first started charter fishing, it was more or less red fish. Yeah. And red snapper and speckled trout and sheephead flounders. Yeah. yeah. Stuff like that. So. And you got pretty good at that pretty quick. I mean, I'm sure you already yeah, I mean, do all that stuff. So my uncle um, that has a big charter company down here. Native Adventures. Native right? Adventures, yeah. Alan Morrow. Uh, I kind of just, you know, learned a lot of the area from him, like, you know, following him around, and he would show us all spots and stuff like that, and that really played a big role in why I even became a charter fisherman is because he yeah you had somebody had to help a, you give yeah, you trips and all that yeah he stuff. had a big business already established and you know he was able to help me out with a bunch of trips so it made me more comfortable going into it like that you know where yeah. is and it? they they run a like shout out to them man they run a first class operation i mean yeah, they vacuum they gotta, seal all their fish they like yeah, they i take, mean they work to they work together with all the guys i mean they're, yeah they're really, they're really, really good. nice guys and they're really good at what they do yeah for sure they yeah. do a lot of cooking for them and yeah. all that good stuff for sure 
And other than that, I mean, me and my dad built my first boat when I was 12 years old out of, you know, wood and fiberglass. And, you know, we literally made a bow stem and a stern. And then we bent wood from there all the way up to the bow stem to the stern and did it around the bottom, put fur plywood around the sides. and then <laughs> That's so cool, man. Yeah, and then fiberglass the whole shell. What that kind was of boat was that? Pretty, it was homemade, so. But, like, what y'all use it, it for? It was just for me to learn, you know, and ride around and go fishing and hunting That's and awesome. stuff like that. But we actually built that boat. My uh, my dad's dad, um, he had a house right on um, Langley Point in Biloxi. Mm-hmm. So they had a house on the water, and that's where we built that boat underneath that house. And so we had a big – my grandfather was, like, really big in the woodworking department. Right. So he would watch TV shows and build these ladders that were chairs that folded into a ladder or coffee tables. He built all his own stuff, you know. So we built that boat there, and then once we got it finished, you know, we kept it there for a little while. My dad actually bought me a Yamaha 25 two-stroke. And once I got that motor, then I moved back down here. Because I actually went to school there when I was like six or seven in mm-hmm. like first grade, second grade in Biloxi. And uh, then I ended up moving down here and we brought the boat with us. And then pretty much at like, you know, 13, 14 years old, they would bring me to the launch and cut me loose and I was mainly from like Fort Jackson to Port Sulphur back then you know I would cut they would allow me to go straight across the river and getting all those back cuts and we mostly me and my friends did a lot of duck hunting and hog hunting and yeah you know that's what y'all used it for yeah and we would go it was just like a boat for you to go and go explore yeah Yeah. it was my own boat i could take it anywhere i wanted they would let me leave at you know 15 with a 270 high power rifle with a shotgun with buckshot (laughs) dude i I, my dad bought me a little me and my brother's a little skiff when i was probably 11 or 12 and like that's like the coolest thing when you're a kid oh yeah and just having that freedom just to go out and just go and look around and do whatever you want i mean yeah i feel like the kids don't get that anymore everybody's no. so much safer now but yeah I mean, they would never let their kids take a <laughs> boat like that especially with high-powered rifles and shotguns and <laughs> you know all that crazy <laughs> stuff but we had a good time we learned a lot back then it, it also helped me learn like the layout of the land and stuff like that so yeah now you know it's like i can just look at a map and I can tell where the sandbars are going to build just by the way the body of water shape. Yeah. Which most people can can't seem to figure out, you know. You can tell what? Say that again. I missed that. So I can tell like just by looking at the map oh, like yeah. what side of the island the sandbar is going to build on or right, what right, side right, of yeah. the turn the sandbar is going to build on just where you can get into where you can't. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it just the Mississippi River is a really special place. Yeah, so things are always building. Down here in the Delta, yeah. Stuff, like, yeah. most of the time, anywhere to where, like, the currents, let's just say the currents going coming from the north and it's going south. So if you got a little strip of land, 
the sandbar is going to be on the back side, on the south side of that island. It's right. going to make a long point right, or right, what, right. whatnot. You know, it just all depends on exactly yeah. where you're at. If you're in a big turn in the river. Yeah, you're right. It's like you learn that as you go on, but a lot of people that haven't been, like, they don't know how to follow the river out or, like, in the past, you, right. know, you always know that inside turn is going to be your shallow side or whatever. Yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. So if, like, the river turns to the right, the left side of the river is going to be more than likely the deeper side because that that current's carving out that bank mm -hmm. over there. Yeah. And then the right side, that's where your big sandbar is going to be. So you wouldn't want to cut that corner. Cut you that would want to stay yeah. out exactly, wide yeah. or hug the opposite yeah, side. Yeah, but like being on the Mississippi River and doing that your whole life, I mean, I bet you just have such a a deeper understanding than, than most people oh, yeah. that haven't. And then like doing that at a young age, it's almost like an instinct. Like oh yeah. That. And I was out there during the daytime. I was out there at night, mm -hmm. you know, just doing whatever flounder gigging. Yeah. The whole nine yards, hunting, shooting pigs, ducks, <laughs> coyotes, whatever we came across, you know? Yeah. And then like, uh, like, so you started charter fishing and you did it with your uncle and then, did you guys end up, like, you kind of went off on your own and started doing your own thing, or? Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I, I want to be able to work for everyone or anyone and just, yeah. you know, yeah, get yeah. the most business that I can possibly get. Right, right. And so, when did, um, like, you guys started, you started diving a lot and stuff, and I can remember on Facebook and stuff and we had dove a little bit here and there, but like I wasn't, I was like full time charter fishing and I wasn't getting to dive a whole lot down here cause I was kind of new and stuff, but right. you guys were going out and shooting these big triple tail, which was when the first, yeah. that was the first big like craze of the triple tail, especially on the online stuff. Yeah. Like you and Blake would go out and y'all shot some big ones and yeah. a lot of them. Tracy's the and one Tracy, that kind of got me into it. You know, he's like, I want to beat this state record triple tail, you know? Tracy Palmazano. Yeah. Yep. I want to have him on, yeah. Yeah, he would be a good one. And uh, he, I would drive the boat for him. And we were, like, out in West Delta on the Sandy Point rigs, which are no longer there. Right. And he's like, I know there's a big one here somewhere. And I would drop him off and say, go get him, you know? And he'd come back and he'd say, oh, it was nothing. And, like, I remember when he got that state record beat with, like, a 27-pounder. That's crazy. He was – it was, the previous record was, like, probably 24 or 25. Uh -huh. And he shot that 27-pounder. I remember them saying that he beat it by three or four pounds or something like that. And uh, he was literally – he got in the boat, and he was like, all right, that's it, bro. I'm done. Let's go. And I was like, no, 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 one more, one more. I was like, this is going to be the one right here. Just joking, you know. I mean, I can't yeah. read, you know, no one can see in dirty water. Yeah. <laughs> you don't but know if it's I was just trying not. to keep him motivated. and You wanted to see him catch something. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to see him get this fish that he wanted, you know. So, And he went, and literally he comes back up. He's like, dude, I got a big one. And he puts the fish in the boat, and he was, you know, ecstatic and yeah, just yeah. happy as can be. And I was like, heck, yeah, that's what it's all about. <laughs> and that's what kind of got me going on the triple tail. I was, like, not really afraid. Once, you know, I got past that fear of diving, I was, like, just pretty much in explore mode. I was like, I'm going to check every one of these rigs. And yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. going to go see what's on every single one of them. And that's what I ended up doing. And 
figured out where the fish were at and you and Blake yeah me and Blake Blake had just moved here from Texas and you know he you know he was into diving a little bit before he moved here so it was perfect it was like I had somebody that was always down to go with me and uh you know we went down and I was like we're gonna go to this new area that you know I've never been to before we're gonna go check it out and we went down there and started seeing a bunch of them you know and then pretty much got a lot of hate for yeah. shooting a lot of triple tail but we, that hates in a way is kind of good right it's like yeah it's you know I mean, it gives you a lot of publicity good. yeah hates good and it's bad you know no yeah. one wants to be hated on but but i mean like it's like the classic thing to me between like divers and fishermen and like you know the the fishermen want to say like oh that's so easy what y'all are doing you know going out there and shooting all these triple tail yeah. and yeah, then, like and do and now like guys are getting hate for killing too many of them right? yeah and like well, I, mean, I mean it and i do too i i don't i don't particularly like seeing people you know kill 15 or 20 triple tail in yeah day. i mean there's too many. one of the dumbest fish right there with cobia yeah. They're super curious. They don't mm-hmm. swim away from you. They eat just well, about anything. They used to not swim away from me. <laughs> when I'd see it, when I first started finding them in like the really good areas, they I could literally pet them. Yeah. Like literally touch them with my hand real slowly and just swipe my hand across them and they would barely even yeah. try to get away from me and then like now there's so many people trying to just kill as many as they can to sell them or whatever it's like now when you swim down you if you look in like your peripheral vision you can see them like swimming straight down trying to get away from you it is true man like i i remember in the early days when i would go out and dive for them here and there it was like they would sit completely still yeah or they would come almost come and try to hide underneath you yeah or look like your your eyes would just get focused and it's like there's one about to kiss your forehead yeah. You know, looking right square in your eyes, it's like, whoa, back <laughs> up, you know, and yeah. try to shoot them. But, you know, we got a lot of hate. We came in with like five over 30 pounds and along with 15 other fish, you know. Wow, y'all had five over 30 pounds? Yeah, in one day. Wow. And, um, which we had four people on the boat, so we weren't over the limit. Yeah, you're probably we're just under shoot, the limit. Yeah, we weren't even we we were probably five under our limit, and um, you know, but as you get older and you realize, well, you can start to think about shit a little. Yeah, bit. yeah, it's like I I don't want to take advantage of any fish out yeah. there. I just you know take what I need to fill my freezer and or make the customers happy. Yeah, or give make the customers happy and. You know, I, I, I hardly ever go out and shoot those fish anymore. I pretty much save them all for my customers to catch and yeah. put them on good trips and make sure they go home. With you know, the the uh, Louisiana State, like, fishing record was set, like, in back in the 80s or something like that. I think it was, like, yeah. maybe the 70s. Do you, do you think that we saw, like, an influx in triple tail here? Or do you think, like, since you've been doing it, which is, like, what, seven or eight years now, right? Yeah, so... Do you think that it's been more or less? Or? Um, I mean, it's it's hard to say, you know. That's I what mean, I say because I mean they're still coming in the they're dock. They're still every day. coming in every day, and it's like these fish, you can find them just about anywhere in the ocean. 
on a piece of trash floating. So, and those are all baby fish that are just trying to survive next to whatever they're by, a bucket, a crate, yeah. piece of plastic, you know. And uh, those fish, most of the time, none of those are legal. Yeah. The big breeder fish are yeah. in breeding, you know, on yeah. structure. That's what they've um, – The I had a, a recent podcast with uh, Eric Geely. He's a marine biologist, and we did, like, some satellite tagging of him and stuff last year. And we actually – there were some that's, that went – that left here and actually started oriented around rivers off of Mexico. So, like, they went and followed Texas around and went all the way to Mexico. And oh, yeah. Started going there. But what he thinks they do, and it makes sense to me, is that whenever the fish come towards these river systems and they like to be really close to deep water but also really close to fresh water, and as the, the, the full moon comes around and you have these big tide cycles, as they release their eggs, those tide cycles bring all the eggs out offshore and they like basically hatch in the, in the weed lines and stuff, and then that's their nursery until they get a big enough size and then they come it's they almost like in. they come back where they were born just like salmon do that's right. my theory and yeah. then they do it again and that's yeah. you know that's probably what they've been doing for thousands of years millions yeah. of years who knows yeah. how old I mean you can find them in the Atlantic every ocean in the world yeah, yeah I mean they're worldwide probably yeah. little do we know you yeah, know i mean they, they they catch them in australia they catch them in africa I yeah mean, they, i don't think those fish really know where they're going they're just kind of floating with the tides yeah. and wherever they end up is where they end up you know wherever the food is yeah probably. they're eating food you know wherever they're at and they're happy and they're just drifting along you know they don't really know to come back there was, there was a guy one day and he was kind of hounding me for going after triple tail every day and i was like i mean because like over time you, you get good at catching something like of course people will start booking you to go do that yeah you know? of course and so you have to fill those needs like if somebody books you for a certain thing you can't just be yeah, like yeah, oh yeah. I'm not, we're not gonna go do that you know but it's like he's trying to make the argument that why did you do that every day and i'm like well these are found in every ocean in the world the redfish are only found in North America, like literally only in North yeah. America. So, like, I feel like we have a pretty a better odds of fishing out redfish <laughs> than we would triple tail. Like, we're yeah. not going to make triple tail go extinct by fishing, outfishing them in Louisiana. No, no they're always going to be around. They're really fast growers. They have no predators yeah. besides us. Besides us. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think that, you know, I mean, they almost wiped redfish out a long time ago back when the gill netting thing was going on they nearly wiped redfish out to where they were almost extinct and then now look they came back to they where came back, yeah. yeah so you could never catch them all with a rod and reel i mean yeah. there's redfish so far back in ponds that you never <laughs> even go in. or so deep <laughs> yeah, or so deep on a rig to where you're They've not even going to catch They've caught them in like 250 feet, dude. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every time I go like free diving or tank diving, I see them. You yeah. know, in 140, you yeah. see like 50, big 60 inches that are just big and long and skinny mm -hmm. with a bunch of big crazy spots on them or whatever, and they just sit in one spot and they don't move. Yeah. They just hold right there. Wait for that crab to come back. Yeah, yeah. Eat whatever, <laughs> you know. So. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I agree, man. Like, I, but it is, it is like, 
I think a lot of the limits in Louisiana, it's just hard to look at, like, when somebody goes out and they catch 15 or 20 triple tail, and it's, like, just grossly too much. Like, yeah. yeah. It's no too much. Like, you've, you, you had fun at around 8 or 10 of them. Yeah, it's like... You know, they, that was the fun. Yeah. Then you're starting to turn it into, like, a like either, like, an ego chest-beating thing... Yeah. ...or, like, work. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're going to go home with 50 to 60 pounds of meat with eight of those fish. So, yeah. why do you need more, you know? Yeah. No. So, that's kind of my rule on it. I, I feel like they should drop the limit from five to two or three, you know? I mean... I feel like three is... A three, three is a good number, you know? I never I let so. people catch more than three of those fish per person on my boat yeah i'm the same way you know and i wish we could get i'd say most of your charter captains are on board with that but there is a few that will still go and catch more yeah and post it and do all that kind of stuff and it's i don't know i i I just see like what like like is could we ever outfish yellowfin tuna i don't really think so not with a rod and reel but the 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 charter fleet has put a two fish per person like limit and they like you know they followed that pretty well you know yeah yeah which is cool to see it makes you feel good about what you're doing like we're trying to get better you know oh yeah yeah we want to help these animals because that's what we're here for to help you know manage them just like sharks everyone's against killing sharks but no one's out there catching them no one's out there killing them and (laughs) there's so many that you know they're eating fish that are here for us yeah. You know, we it is crazy, man. I had I've had triple tail just recently getting eaten by sharks. And really? Stuff. Yeah, dude. Like, yeah, that's crazy. I never had a triple tail get eaten, but I've and, seen and we were actually releasing them. And uh, one one day we were releasing them, and we released the triple tail, and the shark was like chasing it, and it would jump way out the water, like trying to get like several times, like seven or eight times, trying to get away from the shark. It was yeah. freaking crazy, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, when I catch a triple tail, if we're gonna release it. I'll like literally pull right back up to the rig and put and it right throw there. him right back in the rig where I got him from. That way, yeah, he'd hopefully he'd be right there. Yeah, yeah, he's good, safe, and sound. Yeah, no, put him right back where I took him from. But um, yeah, I mean that was that was crazy though. Seeing all of that uh, all that bad, I guess you would say it maybe bad, but probably good publicity because I I could see like the it was really the fishermen getting mad at the divers for shooting them, you know, yeah. and then like. I've had I've had fishermen say, like, man, you shouldn't shoot those tunas behind a shrimp boat. That's too easy. That's a gimme. Oh yeah, I got hate on that too. You know? Yeah, you know, and it's like, is it easy though? Because isn't it like catching a tuna behind a shrimp boat? Whenever you hook a white trout through the eyes and you just put it right beside your boat, isn't that a gimme too? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. isn't that really man in <laughs> twenty minutes? Yeah. He bit on you know two twenty. Isn't that a gimme? Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean it's like. If you really, if it was really easier, you would be doing it. That's the way I see a lot of these fishermen. To me, is like they like to say that it that it would be easier or it, it wouldn't be, but I don't know, man. I think uh, whenever it comes down, whenever it comes time to actually getting in the water and 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 getting in the water and submitting yourself to being in the water with sharks and. Yeah, in that dirty water and stuff yeah. like that. You jump like, in with two or three thousand sharks, and you don't see anything around. And then all of a sudden, you get down about forty feet, and there's 
5,000 sharks swimming straight at you like a wall. <laughs> and it's just like, holy shit. There's nothing gimme about that. No, yeah. And I say the same thing about shooting triple tails. Like, a lot of times people will say that, like, that's too easy. And it's like, it is that easy at times when they're there. And it's, you know, the water's clear and all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of days, just like fishing, that you're looking for them and they're not really there. You know, there's just... It's it's still fishing is not is not all that easy all the time, but um I don't know I think that that's something that's uh kind of interesting whenever you talk about like fishermen and what's cool and what's not yeah cool. well if anything spear fishing is a better way to harvest fish because for one yeah I agree if you that. shoot the fish in the head the meat doesn't get burnt up yeah where fishing if you take two hours to reel it in your meat ain't it's, it's, it's the shit. quality's shit and it ain't even worth keeping because you didn't have the right gear or the water was too blue and they only bite on 60 pound tests or yeah. with a small hook blah 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 i mean there's a million situations but yeah i mean most of the tunas and stuff i shoot i try to make a good shot and only take the shot if I can hit them in the head or hit them in the spine. And yeah, I've dude, you got some crazy video. Tell me about that time. You, you haven't you have you stoned mo multiple tunas? Or yeah, just I've stoned two in one day. Which you we, stoned two in one day? Yeah, that's sick. the first one was uh, ninety three pounds, and uh, then the second fish was a one sixty that I literally hit him right behind the eye and he didn't move one fin the only fins that were moving was those little yellow ones on his back so you brained him i brained him yeah and he just turned sideways and started sinking and it was all on gopro too. <clears throat> yeah i got it all on video and i was like pulling in the line like trying to get it to come towards me and i'm like what am i doing just swim over there and Grab bear him. hug him you know and <laughs> i swam over there and just grabbed him and swam up to the surface and i had uh my buddy mikey we had took his boat mikey maroney mikey maroney yeah <laughs> and when i swam up to the boat he looked at me and he's like dude that is awesome <laughs> i was like i know get my picture <laughs> you know and uh it was dude i i know what it feels like i've never stoned a tuna before but I know what it's like to stone a fish, and it's like it's the most gratifying. Thing. Oh yeah, it I, really is. I heart. I mean, if I'm shooting mangroves or you know something like that, most of the time I just shoot them. I try to hit them in the head, but I just yeah. throw a shot out there. It's not real serious. I don't really take my time as much with it. I just try to hit them because they're darting around and trying to get away from you. But with the tuna, it's like they're moving real. They're either moving fast or they're kind of just coasting along. And it's like most of the time you have time, you have time yeah. to make a good shot. Most people just rush the shot and hit them yeah. mid-body and back. And Yeah. The tuna, I sh I've, sh I've shot uh, two tuna out of here, but the biggest one was a 180-pounder. And I was actually at the lump when I shot him. Like it wasn't like behind a shrimp boat or nothing. Right. So, I mean, I guess I could have, but I was pretty deep and – I don't know. I didn't. I definitely didn't have an opportunity. But I got him like right behind his pec fin. Yeah. Where, but like it was. I, it's almost sometimes it's almost like my my little brother shot a hundred and forty pounder in Costa Rica this past year, and that was like an hour and a half fight, and I shot him two more times. So 
I don't know. The battle yeah. sometimes is just as cool, but like yeah. that instant gratification whenever you stone a fish, I mean, there's yeah, nothing I, like it really. I think I shot a fish. It might have been that same year you shot that one on the East Lump. Yeah. We were in a tournament, and the water was so blue, the fish weren't really biting because we had, like, probably 130-pound fluoro hooked up, so they were, like, I was laying under the boat the whole time, and they had, like, 20 wahoos in my slick, and big tunas and my you know the guy that i was with he was like don't shoot them we're in a tournament we're trying to catch them and he didn't really know anything about offshore fishing <laughs> so th- finally i was like all right dude this is the last set we're about to make we got one ninety three pound tuna that we caught on rod and reel they're not biting i done passed on like a couple you know 150s to 200s no telling how big they were I'm sitting there looking at them, and they would swim up to our line and just turn away from it and grab the free piece of bait. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you know, it's That's obvious. That's cool to see that happen. Yeah, yeah. It was, like, obvious that these fish are seeing the line. I could see the line curled up in the water, you know. Mm-hmm. So I know he can see it. His eyeballs are made for the water. Yeah. And um, finally, the last set, I didn't even want to shoot any of those Wahoo because they were just too small, you know. Yeah. I was going to shoot one if, like, a 100-pounder rolled up. Yeah. I was going to stick them. But the Wahoo that were there were, like, probably 40 to 50 pounds, and I was just like, eh, yeah. not interested. Yeah. And uh, the last set, I was like, all right, dude, I'm jumping in this time, and I'm not holding back. I'm shooting one. And only two fish came in that time, and I ended up shooting one, like, straight under the eyeball, right in the uh, in the – gill plate pretty much yeah it literally hit such a hard spot on that fish that it bent like the last seven inches of my shaft into like a little bit of a l shape or kind of like a golf club's bent a little and i like semi stoned that fish and it literally just you know he was just barely flopping around and i just literally i started i caught some cramps in my legs so I was, like, trying to rub my legs and stuff and massage the cramps out. And I let the fish get tight on the buoy, but he, he couldn't take it under because he, was, he yeah. was dang near stone, you know. He was just barely flopping. And uh, I rubbed the, my legs until I got the cramps out, and then I just eased the buoy back up, and I worked my way right to the fish, and I literally just rode him in a circle. I just kept keeping clear of that line just in case he wanted to go right. crazy and break off. You don't want to get wrapped up in that line. And I just rode him in a circle until I got, like, five feet away from him. And then I was like, all right, pulled my knife out and just stuck him one time right on the top of the head. Boom. And he just he started died. twitching. Yeah, he was done. Damn. I really cool finished him off there. But the meat quality on those fish are, like, Way better. Way better. The meat's like dark red. It looks like yeah. bluefin meat, you know, yeah. compared to I can see it. when some of my friends shoot them mid-body and back. It's like. And they the, fight till the death. They fight for an hour and 30 minutes or whatever. And they're just, you know, they're going crazy. They're trying to wrap you up in the line. I mean, it's dangerous, you know. It is. Yeah. It's way more dangerous. And the meat's like pink. You yeah. know, like a or white. I've pan. seen it white, like behind the shrimp boats when the water's real hot. Real hot, shrimp, yeah, yeah. It just cooks them inside out. So you know, it's like I keep my fish separate every time. I'm like, <laughs> oh no, look, this is, I'm marking this one. It's mine. You know, I'm 
Yeah. Taking excellent care of it, wiping it down with paper and towels, vacuum sealing it perfect. Right, right. And, you know, a piece of tuna I can keep in my fridge for a month. Yeah. By just literally cutting it out the pack, wiping it off with paper and napkins, drying it off, getting all that juicy, bloody water out of there, and then, you know, seal it back up until that piece gets juicy again. Then you do just it again. do it again. And yeah. no fishy smell and. It's like good stuff. For good, sure. yeah, yeah. The best you can get. But um, now like you did like the the inshore and uh, are you like trying to get like yeah? Then you won that that wahoo the tuna wahoo yeah. tournament. How yeah. big was that wahoo that y'all had? It was a ninety three pounder. So that was the first two offshore fishing tournaments that I was ever entered in. And the first year, you know, everyone's like, oh, you got lucky, which the first year I kind of did get lucky, you know, mm-hmm. because we caught that 93 pounder on a, you know, 100 pound fluoro with a seven or eight aught circle hook. Mm-hmm. And uh, it hooked him right in the top of the lip. And that fish literally almost spooled a Talica 25. Damn. And we literally started i'm like you gotta start driving on it chase them down you know and we as soon as we started going for the fish i'm reeling as fast as i can and i'm like all right slow down slow down i can't you know i can't keep up with the slack and that fish must have turned and darted straight back towards us because i reeled on it for like five minutes straight like most people would have stopped reeling and been like oh he's gone and I just kept going, 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 going for like five minutes. And finally, I got back tight on that fish. And I was like, oh, it's still there, you know, like, mm-hmm. which I was hoping, you know. And uh, that about that time, I looked over the side and I could see him just twirling sideways, coming up, just spinning in a circle like he was hooked in the middle of his body, you know. <laughs> Wahoo don't really fight much after they make two or three runs they're kind of yeah, they, they spend it all out yeah they st- stiff as a board and just kind of pretty much done and uh we we gaffed them and put them in that that uh fish won fourteen thousand dollars that's awesome and the uh tuna wahoo classic for yeah uh, part of robbie carter's Louisiana. Yeah. yeah robbie carter's promotions yeah and then the second year so i think that was 21 and then 22, I uh, ended up placing, I had a second place Wahoo that was 77 pounds that ended up getting bumped down to third by the end of the tournament. Mm. And we literally caught that fish the first day that we fished the tournament. You got six days to fish, two days, two days, and two days. Or you could do <clears throat> three days. In three days, equaling mm-hmm. six, either yeah. way. And uh, the first two days we went out, I had I called up two of my buddies from Texas, uh, Josh and Colton, and they flew in from Texas like literally overnight. I put that team together, and they came in and we went just fishing for fun, you know, like buddies. But we we're in that tournament. And we caught that 77-pound Wahoo and a couple other, like, 50s and stuff like that. But we just entered the biggest one. And then the second day, we ended up getting back out there again. 
and we got out there a little late and I I'll never forget my uh my buddy Blake was like uh oh you're too late they just came up and they're gone now you know mm-hmm. or whatever and then we ended up making a drift and hooked a uh 212.6 which ended up taking first place for that Dang, so you got third place Wahoo and first place Tuna? Yeah, so I you know, I would like to say that one wasn't luck, you know. That was <laughs> a little bit of skill involved. Man, I think I think that. there's I think there's a luck factor in yeah. every day out in the water. Oh yeah. And then there's also You a gotta skill. get lucky and yeah. go to the right spot for sure. You yeah, know? there's a luck factor, but there's also a skill factor and like I don't know, people like to say that like, oh, this guy's just so lucky, but like I don't know. Whenever you see the done deal on the leaderboard year after year, it's like, all right, yeah, he's, he he's knows lucky. Something. He's lucky, but he's also kind of he's skillful. Got his, and I know, would say the same ducks about in you. A row. Like, yeah. yeah, like there's probably a little luck factor there, but like, shit, dude, that's badass. Like, yeah, that. Year, how much did y'all win? That ended up being like twenty nine thousand. Hell, yeah. that year. That's a good payout. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't bad. That's awesome. So, it all worked out. I haven't fished that tournament before. I want to, though. That's no. a fun tournament. Cause oh, it's like, yeah. It's the only one that I really ever <laughs> want to fish. It is cool because it's like in that time of year where they got like big wahoos and big tunas. Yeah. And then you don't have time. to you don't have to worry about the bad weather because you pick your days, right? Because it's a, yeah. Isn't it a three day? It's a three month long tournament, but you have six days that you can fish. Yeah. And you can pick the days that you want to yeah. fish. You can do it three and three or two, two, two days, two. two days and two days, right, right. six. Yeah. That's awesome way to do a tournament. Yeah, and it. The uh, the first two days that I picked for each tournament that we were that tournament we were fishing, I ended up winning the tournament the first two days every time I picked them and fished it. That's awesome. <laughs> so got lucky on that deal, I guess, <laughs> by picking. That's that's the hardest part: is picking the right day. Picking the right days. Yeah. 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 But um, so like, are you? Like, you, you ran quite a few inch offshore charters. I mean, like, you don't just do inch. I mean, you. Yeah, I do. Dude, you do everything. I do it. Yeah, <laughs> if there's that, something to kill down my, here, you've killed it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I want to check off every species yeah, across I mean, the board, you know. Sword by the fishing end of in it. the bay boat. I mean, you've yeah. done, like, all that. Yeah. You've done all I mean, of it. Me and my fiance caught two over 200 pounds four days apart. We caught, we worked hard all day long for that first over the 200 mark it was a uh 215.3 and we fished all we didn't get that bite till like six in the evening or five in the evening and then it was a two and a half hour fight so (laughs) it was dang near dark by the time we were heading in we were wore out and I, i looked at her and i said look we don't need to come back out here anymore because we're never gonna catch one bigger than that fish <laughs> that i actually got that fish's bill right mounted there, and carved right there yeah it was the longest one i've ever did craig do that one no that's um inga inga okay yeah inga did that she's uh in covington oh, okay that's cool and uh yeah that 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 fish had a really long bill but then we ended up going back out there four days later and i was like well we'll try to catch two you know Instead of going for a big one, we'll just try to get two meat fish. You know, I'll be happy with two of them, 100 pounds each. And the first drop, it didn't even hit the bottom. 
and I knew it didn't hit the bottom, but the line was like slack. I'm like, what is going on, you know? And I reeled on it a bunch, like reeled real fast, and I'm like, couldn't catch up to it. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And this was like a dried up squid that been in my freezer, freezer burnt with a glow in the dark skirt. And it'd been in there from previous trips. Like it didn't even have tentacles on it hardly. <laughs> and the first drop of 268 grabs it and starts swimming the lead up. And, you know, I'm, I literally sat on the side of the boat and the rod was like just slack. I couldn't, you know, didn't, yeah. couldn't figure it out. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And finally I looked at uh, Jackie and I said, I said, you just reel it up, you know, because it was like the weight was there again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you reel it up. And as soon as she goes over there and grabs the reel, it just started dumping drag. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I was like, you know, heck yeah. Because the cool. 215 that I caught, I told her she couldn't reel on it. Because I was like, this feels like a big one. I was like, if it's some kind of record, I want it to count, you know. Yeah. I got this one. So I ended up letting her reel that 268 in by herself. And ended up being bigger than yours. Yeah, it ended up being bigger <laughs> than mine. So, you know, that's how that goes. I remember whenever I caught my big one on my bay boat, I was supposed to, y'all were supposed to come out with me that day. Yeah. Like you and Jackie were supposed to come out. Like, we yeah. were going to go out after my charter. And then I show up to the dock and I have one guy. And I was like, man, I'll just take him. Like, I don't right, want to come yep. back in or whatever. Yeah, I remember that. And I sent you a text. And then, yeah, dude, I went that one time and uh, caught that fish. And, I don't think I've been sword fishing in the since. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like, mean, when you get a big fish like that, it's like, why even go back? It's, it's fun like, though, man. Sword fishing is a lot of fun. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. At it's first, cool. I didn't like it. It seemed kind of boring. And but it once, is once it you is. get into it though, yeah. and you're like really, yeah, like all right, I like this. Once you see the potential, and you just yeah. sit there and stare at that rod like, <laughs> like it's your whole world, you know. <laughs> It's like Just when you were a waiting. little kid yeah. waiting for that brim to bite the piece of bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's addicting. It's, it, is. it is really fun. But uh, you're trying to get, are you going to be getting into the offshore game still? Like, and yeah. do the offshore charters? Yeah. Like, are you going to get a, like, tell them about your boat. You yeah, so I'm, about that? I'm uh, in the process of building my own custom 30-foot catamaran, probably around 10-foot wide. Aluminum? Aluminum more like a hybrid super low profile but still can go out and handle the big seas are you gonna have like power are you gonna have like trolling motor and power poles or uh probably no trolling motor i ain't really into the trolling motors but I'm yeah not you don't saying, even have a trolling motor on your bay boat <laughs> no not lately i mean and really it's like you don't need a trolling motor unless you're like really trying to be a serious trout fisherman yeah. I mean, it can make your life easier for deep dropping and stuff like that for, you know, yeah. scamps or something on a wreck, you know. But other than that, I mean, it's like. And tarpon fishing, a lot of tarpon guys, so you need yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you need it for tarpon and stuff like that, which I don't really target tarpon as much because you can't eat them. Yeah. I'm more of a. My meat hauler. Meat, you know, mm-hmm. bring you to get something to show for it and eat yeah. on for the rest of the year. That way it, you know. Yeah, your trip kind of has. A I think there's a big part to that. Is like that's kind of why we fish. You know, there's something weird to me about yeah. catching or release fishing. It really is. Like, yeah, I mean, 
I don't mind doing the catch and release because then you just don't have to clean fish at the yeah. end of the day. But I always keep a couple just to throw in the freezer. Yeah. Dude, that's one thing I noticed about you too. You you're like me. You always clean your own fish. Like yeah, I like that. Like yeah, if, I don't if know. you're not cleaning your own fish, like are you even a real fisherman? That's kind of the way I see it. Too. Yeah, it's that's like, like I like it. Yeah. I like it. And yeah. it's like I don't know. It's like well, it doesn't feel like you did the job all the way. If, yeah, and it's like I really don't think there's anyone out there that's gonna carve that fish out like you better would. than I would. You know, yeah. because I'm doing it every day. I know where all their bones are at. I know how they're shaped. Like I, I feel the same way. I don't. I don't. Even I don't, cut I don't trust anybody else to anymore. Do it. Yeah. 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 Like even if I just go out for fun with my buddies free diving, most of the time I just tell them to cut the bellies out or something. I'm like because when we go to split fish up at the end of the trip. I'm going to be taking fish home that he cleaned. Yeah, I don't like and, that either. Yeah. I'm weird about that, dude. I give like, a I want to clean my own fish. Like, people want to clean my fish for me. It's like, oh, do you, yeah. you took us out. Like, I'll clean the fish. I'm like, mm, nah, nah nope. I'd actually rather clean the fish. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like cleaning. Like, that was, my grandmother was an Indian on my uh, mother's side. Mm-hmm. That was the one that would go shrimping with my grandfather. And she actually cleaned all the fish. Like, you would think my grandfather would have been the one but cleaning she liked the fish. To do it, yeah. No, she was the one that cleaned all the ducks, all the, you know, anything that I brought over, she cleaned it, you know, and got it prepared to cook. Yeah. Skinning catfish and, you know, just whatever, peeling That's shrimp, cool. stuff like that. Yeah. But um yeah, I just I don't want to go home with someone else's work as far as <laughs> cleaning the fish because then I give a lot of fish away to people that help me out and stuff like that. And I like, you know, I just like to return the favor and yeah. I'm like the uh, Robin Hood for fishing, you know. <laughs> but, dude, that's cool you're building. So, like, you're actually, like, building your boat. Like, you got a buddy helping you out with it, but you're actually building it yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to. I recently went over there and learned how to weld and stuff and built my own chicken pen. And now I'm. Gonna start building yeah, the boat. Yeah, <laughs> should get the tunnel in this Friday, so that's awesome, we're gonna go dude. build a cradle for it. And I'm almost everything. like Lay really like I don't know if I'll ever get to that point, but like my my younger brother just recently like pretty much he he I'm not gonna say he built the boat, but it might have been easier for him to build the bo- <laughs> build yeah. his boat because he literally took it all the way down to like bare fiberglass on like everything and then put yeah. in new knees and like made it everything the way that like he wanted, he wanted it, it yeah. and everything and it's like it's so much work but it's it's so cool that you know every inside and out of that boat and then it's like that's like your baby oh like, yeah that's when that's it, like part of you you know everything about that boat yeah and if something breaks you, you care know about exactly it. how to fix it yeah but you also care about it so much more yeah, whenever you had to work that hard for it you know the reason the Some, main reason I, i'm saying i'm jealous like that sounds super cool once yeah you, once you'll actually have it well then, yeah cool. yeah it's gonna be sweet it's yeah. uh gonna be really nice uh my thing with all of these boats is all of these boat companies copy each other with Mm -hmm. the internal guts like this box drains into that one and that one connects to this one Mm -hmm. you know which my boat is going to be nothing like that yeah the fish box is going to drain straight out the side of the boat 
Straight you know, through the tunnel, probably. Straight through the tunnel or where, you know, yeah. I'm going to figure all that out as I go. But then when it gets clogged up with scales, I'm going to stick the hose in it and go and yeah. blow it out. Yeah. And it's going to be gone, problem solved. Yeah. When you There's got just all, all these, those little things that you can yeah. make to, to the way you like it. Oh, yeah, to where it's, it just makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. it's like make it make sense. If, if you got a big four-way where these pipes are connected on the inside of your, you know, hall where they cap this thing together, you can never unclog that. Yeah. You can't take it apart. You yeah. can't get in there. You'd have to take the whole top shell off of the bottom of the hall, and you'd have to, you know, it's it's nearly impossible. It's not yeah. impossible, but no one would ever do that. Right. You right. know. Yeah. You're not gonna. So I'm just doing things totally different. Like most boats. They give you one little spot to run wires. My boat has, you know, it's going to have a pipe so big you can stick your arm in it to run the wires. You know what I mean? You can you can have unlimited Everything's going to be very visible and easy yeah. to work on. Yeah, yeah, very easy to just Get pass everything through. Yeah. Oh, we need to run a wire for this? Okay, no problem. Boom, done. It takes five minutes. Yeah. On my boat now, it's an older haul. It has no place to run wires through. You got to like literally fish a piece of wire through it and hope it comes out somewhere where it's not getting pinched or cracked and fish it through like that. And it's just, it's normally an hour to an hour and a half job every time I got to run a new wire. Yeah. So it's just a big pain. But, um, I'm not going to keep you too much longer. This is actually a super cool podcast, but it's it's getting kind of long. We're like almost an hour yeah, and I gotta, minutes in. I'm sorry. I got to fish tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, me too. But um, I got two more questions and we'll go. Um, your jet ski, dude, like that's crazy shit, dude. Doing a jet ski down here has got to be like one of the coolest places to have a jet ski, but you never see them down here. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I've done it all, you know, I mean caught wahoo off of it you know the next thing is gonna be a big tuna <laughs> this year or the hey, beginning you just of got the a next new year one, right yeah. yeah brand new sea uh gtx 300 three seater with speakers it does right at 72 miles an hour so you can zip out and zip in yeah it kind of you know you get a little sore just trying to hold on to it when you're going wide open uh jackie says it's not any fun because she's holding on for her life (laughs) (laughs) that's funny but yeah it's super cool i've went out as soon as i got it i took me and my buddy and his dad i mean my buddy's my one of my good friend's dad he got the same exact ski we didn't know we just kind of both bought the same used ski at different times but I, fe- I found out he had it, and I took him out, and we got our limit of snapper within, like, five drops each. Mm-hmm. And then we both went and finished up and caught our five triple tail each, which he lost his last one, which was probably his going to be his biggest one. But my biggest one was right at 25-point-something that day. Damn, that's awesome. And, and the uh, jet skis. That's yeah, so we were back by 11 o'clock. That's so cool. With both that's cool so going full. that quick. Sheesh. Yeah, yeah. You can cover some ground. But um all right, my last question is is like you know about 
all these different i mean you've you've been a commercial fisherman you've caught everything there is to catch out here um in louisiana like what more do you think we can do as fishermen to like from like more conservation like do we need more habitat do we need to stop killing more fish like what do you what do you think whatever your take is is completely fine yeah um so i think that we need to get a hold of these people that are trying to save these coral reefs i actually just seen something about this uh today or yesterday on my phone it was some company i don't know the name of it but they were you know saying in other words help us save all these coral reefs well we kind of need to get them on board to help save all of these rigs because they're trying to pull all these rigs up and then come back in and dump one pile of rocks right in the middle and say okay here's your reef well you know that's not the same thing because it doesn't go to the surface Yeah. yeah if the structure does not come all the way to the surface then it doesn't hold all those little minnows like every one of these rigs around here they have millions of little minnows which don't really know what they are they're probably glass minnows or Maybe even small hardshells or yeah. I mean, I've seen shrimp free diving at the surface. I've seen shrimp pass by, which they're damn near invisible in Mm -hmm. the water. So it's really hard to see a shrimp. But you know, all of that stuff, little crabs and stuff, they're all up at the surface, sitting there holding on the structure or staying right around it for protection. And you know, like these people really need to get on board and open their eyes and see that this is why the fishing is built up to be what it is today because of all these rigs here they're all growing you know coral on them Mm -hmm. from being metal in salt water you know so it grows all kind of great habitat for the fish and you know dumping that one pile of rocks right in the middle of where 500 rigs used to be is not the same thing and yeah. what i think they could do to really help all of that is they need to just donate all of those rigs to the state to where if you run into it it was your own fault because yeah. you're running without radar you don't know what you're doing you know yeah, it's that's your own fault it's your own because that's fault. when it comes down to is the liability it's the liability because yeah. people are running have into to take them, them out yeah and they're hitting them and then they're suing the company that used to own them blah 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 you know i just think if they would just donate them to our state and say hey we're gonna help y'all's reef program just change that law that law that like that whoever owns that is liable. right i don't think i don't know how you do that like i don't think either of us really know how you know i know nothing about it i don't know who to talk to (laughs) but hopefully if there's someone out there that can hear this you know it's like they need to. I mean, open dude, that's. I mean, up. like, I, I've heard. I don't know how true the statement is. I've tried to look into it, but they're saying that like between eighty and ninety percent of all of our nearshore rigs are going to be hauled out within the next seven oh, to ten yeah. years. They pulled and they pulling them up all the time. Oh yeah, I mean, I've the seen time. them pull up all of those Sandy Point rigs mm-hmm. within two months. You know, like yeah, they, they just they pulled up thirty, forty rigs in two months. They drop a machine down in the pipe. It eats out the inside of the pipe. They pull it out of that one, drop it down in the next one, eat the inside of that one. Then once they do all four, they hook a crane to it, pull it out the mud, set it on a barge, and away it goes. 
and there's nothing left but a pile of barnacles right there that'll just get covered up with mud eventually because there's no barnacles falling right off of the pipes yeah but it's a sad know, thing to watch yeah it, it sucks you know but i guess they won't realize it until it's too late <laughs> like everything else in the world but i think if we get enough fishermen on board with the fact that we need more habitat and more structure that maybe just maybe eventually like because everybody has their own idea like everybody oh, yeah. wants to say oh you should keep less you should keep less but in like my mind i'm like no we need more people that want to come down here that way everybody sees that we need more structure right that way we can actually do something to where we'll actually have yeah, well, more I mean, structure you know, i don't so. think we need more i think we just need to keep what we have before i mean you don't think more would be better more would be better, but the thing is, there's so yeah. many rigs here that we got more rigs here than anywhere in the world, probably. Yeah. You know, that's on the water. No, you're right. A start so, would just be keeping what we have. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of I guess the next step up. would be trying to make more. Would which they did add a fad here recently. Did you hear about that? That fad? Yeah, I seen something about it, but I didn't really. I haven't been to it, but that is like a attention. cool thing, like to actually have a standing structure out there for fish. Like that's yeah, a step I mean, in the right direction. It's for sure. unbelievable for the fish. No, in fishing and spear fishing and no all of the above. You know, it's really just need to find the right people to make sure. We can just maintain what we have, and nope. if you hit them, it's your own fault. You're not a <laughs> safe boater. <laughs> I agree. You know? I agree, man. Well, look, dude, I really appreciate you uh, doing this podcast with me, man. And uh, yeah, we we went diving here recently, but we need to go do it again, man. Yeah, I love, I love yeah. diving with you so much. Heck fun. yeah, me too. You're one of the better divers that <laughs> I go with, and yeah. I feel safe going you know when you got somebody that's on it the is same it level. is nice being with somebody that kind of heck yeah i knows, appreciate you made, having me go yeah and for stuff. Sure. it was it was a good time i guess one more time tell people i don't know if you want to leave yeah so my name's uh lewis thornton and i was born and raised right here in venice louisiana and if you're looking to go on a fishing trip you can look me up on instagram by searching lewis thornton which is spelled L-O-U-I-S, Thornton, T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N. Yeah. And then your website? And my website is fishkillingcharters.com. Dot com. And my, should I tell them my phone number or something? Yeah, or? you can tell them your phone yeah. number. Yeah, phone number is uh, 504-912-1041. Yeah. And I usually respond to calls and text more than emails or messages on those platforms you know cool and uh guys i do recommend like one of the more well-rounded guides down here i mean he he, he pounds the dock more than more than most down here so if you yeah. guys want to go and kill some fish and but, have a good time like yeah but i also the respect the fish and all the animals now you know i might have grew up looking at it a little wrong and then just recently one probably it took me till about 30 years old to realize that hey you know we're the only thing that can you know protect these fish so we don't need to take advantage of any of these fish you know we need to try to maintain what we have and make sure that they're going to be here for the future and for everyone's kids and the next generation you know 
Oh. oh, that's awesome too. And it's also really cool, like kind of watching, like, cause I kind of, I think I went through that same thing, but I kind of saw it in you. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like, like you went from like this, like slamming doc fish just killing wanted kill like, just wanted to kill everything to yeah. kind of like taking a step back and being like man that ain't right. that ain't that ain't yeah. the move like yeah we gotta that's do not it like right this, you know yeah. so super cool yeah man. it's but, uh, nice when you finally grow up <laughs> and realize how to be a real man and not kill as much you know and respect the animals because pretty much we're all they have to protect them yeah you know Cool. All right, guys. Thanks again for listening, and uh, thank you again, buddy. Thank you.